Uh, this is Valentine's weekend, and I had um, chocolates and Valentine's all spread across the tables for you guys. Um, but then I turned around, and my, my three-year-old was behind me, and she was eating them. So I'm sorry they're not there anymore, but... Um, I, I, next time. But uh, February is not only uh, identified with love in Valentine's Day, but it's also known as uh, Black History Month. And every year I try to do my best to honor men and women of color who share in the same vision we do as a church. And this week I listened to one of my most favorite sermons um, of all time. And I hope that today I want to be able to share some of that with you what God spoke to me through it. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter five. That's where we're going to be. I'm going to jump around with a lot of scripture. So um, uh, be prepared for that. If you, if you are not able to do that, there'll be on the screen behind me. Um, but in Matthew 22, and I know you're turning to Matthew five, uh, Matthew 22, let me read this uh, to you. And this is the, the verse that we have used this entire series to kind of uh, be our launching platform uh, for, for the series. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be in verse 37. Said, uh, this is, well, verse 34 says, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. So this is, uh, and it says testing him. And so you see this often in the gospels where Jesus is, uh, is trying to uh, be put on spot, questioned. Uh, they're trying to test him. They're trying to get him to, to make a mistake here. And so verse 35, one of them, a lawyer had asked him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And it says on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. We said that over the next several weeks, starting in January, so we've been several weeks into it, but we're going to continue to look deeper into the mission and vision of the Grove Church. And the vision, as hopefully some of you can uh, state on your own now, is that we want to see irreligious people become fully transformed followers of Jesus Christ. And we said irreligious is meaning people that, uh, that are not in relationship with God. They're unaware. They're uh, indifferent to God. And our mission is to, to reach up, to reach out, and to reach in. And so uh, we're, we're, we're moving now into the, the mission part of the series. And Debbie shared last week about hospitality. Uh, everything from welcoming people into the church with our coffee bar and our hot chocolate and our, our handshakes to, uh, uh, to the issues of life that we're facing together as a community. Do we choose hospitality or do we choose hostility in our response to God? And I want to say thank you to Debbie for being so transparent and vulnerable last week. And we had several stories that have come through small groups of the impact her vulnerability made. And so today I want to do likewise. I want to, I want to share about loving our enemies. And, and church, uh, I have to be honest, this has been hard for me recently. Since I was a teenager, I've been told, love your enemies. Uh, and it seemed easy for me back then because, you know, as a, uh, I didn't really think as a teenager I had enemies. You know, I, I grew up in the, in the 90s, right? And if I was to give an example of an enemy back then, oh, who's your enemy, Jeff? Well, we were in Desert Storm. And so I probably would have said, you know, Saddam Hussein, those are, those are my enemies. They're over there. You know, uh, people I didn't know, people that weren't directly in my life. That's what I would have thought of. But it wasn't until later in my life where I realized that my enemies were a lot closer. When I first took this job, 
Nobody told me the stories about this place, right? Nobody told me that when I would go into public and tell people I'm from the Grove, they would, that would be a bad way to start off the conversation, right? You know, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know I, that when I would go into my local hardware store, and I won't give any names, I won't tell you which store, but when I go into my local hardware store and, I, and I'd get to the counter and I'd be purchasing something for the church and, you know, and I would say, you know, it's got to go on our account. Well, what's your account? Well, the Grove Church. There'd be this awkward pause. You mean Franklin Grove Baptist Church? And I'm like, so I'm quick get my phone. I'm calling Greg. Or, Were we Franklin Grove Baptist Church? Yes. Oh, yes, that's the church. Yes, yes, no. It's the Grove now, but yes. And so, you know, I'd have to, you know, so I'd, I'd get scared to go to the counter and say the Grove. I feel like I was offending someone, you know. Um, we we, we uh, uh, did a dance two Fridays ago. Not this Friday, the Friday before. We did a, a, a dance for the elementary kids. They called me up on Friday and I asked me to DJ the dance. And so sure, I said, yeah, I'd love to DJ the dance. You know, I love dancing with elementary kids. So we'll, we'll do this. And I'm like, um, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do it right. And then I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm talking to, to uh, James. He's the president, uh, the president, the president of West Elementary School. He's the principal of West Elementary School. And so I'm like, man, you know, are, are people going to be bothered by the fact that, you know, the Grove's, you know, here, you know what I mean? Is it going to be, you know, you know, is there going to be church people upset that the Grove is dancing? Is it going to be dance people upset that they're, you know, the Grove Church? And he's like, don't worry about it. The back of the chairs say Franklin Grove Baptist Church. So we're good. You know, it's, a, it's the old chair. So we're good. But, uh, but for me, it, it, it was very easy to come in here and just start to love people in this community. Because, uh, because even though they just didn't like me because of where I worked. And that was fine because A, it wasn't like they really knew me. And so they didn't really like dislike me. They just, just didn't like what I represented, right? And, and B, they didn't, you know, I didn't know them. So I didn't have this personal connection with them. So whether they chose to accept my love or not, I wasn't like scorned or hurt or, 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 or bitter. But more recently, things have changed uh, as we continue to move in this community and, and speak truth and, 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 and see lives transformed. I've lost friends and I've lost people that I, I love on the, on, the, on, the tr- on the journey. I've had my words and my motives twisted and I've had images painted of me that are false. And I'm aware that these things, these things come with the job. But there is a real enemy out there that doesn't want to see people transformed into Christ followers. But it's still hard. It's still hard to have people who, who when you try to be real with them and vulnerable with them, that, that they turn on you. And I I've, I've, haven't always handled it correctly. And I've needed to ask forgiveness at times. Jim Daly is the current president and CEO of Focus on the Family. And he shared this at a conference for pastors. He said, listen, as pastors, we're not always rewarded for being real. And I get that. That there are expectations people have for me. They don't want me to be real. They, they kind of want me to be fake and not, and not struggle with anything. And I get that. But at the same time, studies have shown that nearly 40% of the de-churched, which means people that have left the church, they've grown up in church and they've left. There was these uh, stats that came out that said the American church is losing like 50,000 people a week that are leaving the church. And they say that 80% of the kids that are in church now will not be in church when they're our age. And they say 40% of these de-churched, uh, um, they, they lack they lack, uh, the reason they left was because of mistrust or lack of respect for the pastor. And some of this is the fault of pastors and some of this is perception. But when there is a lack of vulnerability and honesty from the stage, 
People don't buy it, right? You know, we were talking about this in our staff meeting on Tuesday, and some of you have been uh, part of our small groups and our married, married life small groups. And without a fail, there is always a couple in that group that want you to think that they don't argue, that, that they don't fight, that they've been living on a 15-year honeymoon, right? And, and you could just see the rest of the group kind of roll their eyes, you know, when they talk. And, and it ends usually in one of two ways in these groups. At some point in the small group journey, God reveals to this couple where things aren't going well, where there's things in the marriage that need to change. And two things happen here. They either quit coming because the group has caught on that the gig, the gig is up, right? Or they confess to everyone that they're, they're just like the other couples, helplessly dependent on Jesus Christ. And here's my struggle. I want to be real with you guys. I want you to know where I struggle and where I have doubts, and where I am wrestling with God. And I want to share with you the way God is moving and revealing things to me. But here's what I don't get. I had a conversation this week, and I hear it often said of me. Why does Jeff always talk about love? Why doesn't he talk more about accountability or more about sin? Why doesn't he lay that guilt on us Sunday mornings and remind us of how horrible we are and how we're failing to follow God's law? Jesus himself, I just read it, was asked this a few times in the gospel. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What, what's the law that we should follow the most to, to get into heaven? Jesus, give us the law. What, what do we need? What are the rules? And what did he say? Love God. Love others. Jesus talked a lot about love. And honestly, I don't think a lot of people would have liked Jesus. So let me read you what Paul says. Because I think a lot of Christians like Paul a lot more than they like Jesus. So 1 Corinthians. We're going to go there. 1 Corinthians 13. This is a very familiar passage talking about love. Verse 1 says this, If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions and feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And then he goes on to describe what love looks like. And in verse 13, he says, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Paul thought it was pretty important, right? Okay, again, I told you we're gonna jump around. Luke 10, Luke 10. So we said, love God, love others. Luke 10, verse 25 says, again, this is a story right before the, the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is being asked by a, a lawyer, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of turns it on him and says, he said to him, well, what is written in the law? How does, it, how does it read to you? You're a lawyer. You understand the law. What does it say to you? And the lawyer answered back and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Well, reading that begs the question, who is my neighbor? In fact, the lawyer said, wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, 
Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells us that included in the others that we're supposed to love, included in the neighbors we're supposed to love, are enemies. Turn back with me, Matthew, Matthew 5. This is where I wanted you to be, Matthew 5, verse 43. It says, you have heard this, that it was said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Since scripture was written, theologians and church leaders have argued and debated these verses and said, we we don't know if Jesus is speaking in in hyperbole here or, or literally. And hyperbole is this exaggerated statements not meant to be taken literally. And so some examples of that you'd find in scripture is where Jesus says, hey, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Or if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Uh, if you read the context, uh, Jesus isn't really saying, literally, cut off your hand. Literally, remove your eye. He's talking about removing things from your life that cause you to sin. So, if every time you have a beer, you can't stop at one, and you end up drunk, you might need to stop drinking, right? If every time you're surfing the web late at night, and you end up on a website that you shouldn't, you may need to cancel your wireless. If Every time you go to pay the bills and you get so angry at your husband for spending grocery money on golf, you may need to relax and, and stop getting so mad, Jody. She's right here. You know, she's, she's not here to hear me, but you know what I'm just saying. But this idea of loving your enemies, hundreds of years people have been saying, does Jesus really mean for us to do this? Does he really want us to love our enemies? Is it possible? Is this, uh, is this reachable? There's no way we could really do it. It doesn't even make sense. And passages like this gave fuel to those who said, well, you know what? Jesus is just an idealist. He wasn't practical. He, wasn't, he didn't get it on earth here. He, he, was, he was in the clouds. He was, he was crazy. Following him is crazy. But for many of us here, those of us that would say we're on mission together, that we believe Jesus wasn't crazy, that he did mean the things he said. And if we believe what he said, and we call ourselves Christ followers, And when Jesus tells us to love our enemies, then we need to love our enemies. And so here's my question to you. Do you love your enemies? If we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves, and our neighbors include our enemies, how are you doing with that? Do you love your enemies? And so today I want to look at the who, the how, the why, of Jesus commanding us to love our enemies. And we're going to start with the who. Who are your enemies? People who don't like you, right? People who talk bad about you. People who criticize you. People who gossip about you. And there may be not one single reason. They just don't like you. They might not have a good reason. They just don't like you because, because of the way you look. Or the way maybe you walk. Or the car you drive. Or the success you have at your job. Or the amount of money that you have or, or don't have. They might not like you because of the color of your skin. Maybe, maybe though, maybe it is someone you hurt. Maybe they have legit reasons to not like you. Ex-in-laws, co-workers, ex-friends, ex-spouses. There will be people who hate you, curse you, and persecute you. Try to steal from you. Try to hurt you, spread lies about you. And it is really easy to say we love our enemies that are far off way away from us. But when the enemy is sitting 
two rows behind you. Or they're at the coffee house. Or they work in the same building as you. It becomes a little harder. It's easy to love those you're not connected to. But when they're right here, love is hard. And I want each of you real quick on the notepad of your mind. Write down the first person that comes to your mind when you think enemy. Who is someone in your present reality that you would say fits the description of an enemy that I just gave you? Who is it? To yourself. Think about it. We'll come back to it. So that's the who. Let's look at the why would we love our enemies. Well, the first example, Luke chapter 6. Verse 27. The first example is because Jesus commands us to. I want to read this out of the message. I, I brought the message because I wanted you guys to see this. How he, I love how he puts it here. It says, to you who are ready for the truth. I love that. You know why he put it there? Because there are Christ followers in this moment that weren't ready for the truth. They didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say in the next sentence. They didn't want to follow it. To you who are ready for the truth, I say this. Love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make it a present of it. If someone takes you or takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat stuff. Live generously. Here's a simple room, a rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners can do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us generously and graciously, even when we were at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. I want you to listen to an audio clip of uh, a part of this message that I um, listen to this week. I want you to hear it too. And so the audio is very old. And so you have to bear with us. So that they're going to try to crank it up so you guys can hear it. But listen to the, the audio here this mes- uh, from this message. And this is what Jesus means, I think, in this very passage when he says, love your enemy. And it's significant that he does not say, like your enemy. Like is a sentimental something, an affectionate something. There are a lot of people that I find it difficult to like. I don't like what they do to me. I don't like what they say about me and other people. I don't like their attitudes. I don't like some of the things they're doing. I don't like them. But Jesus said, love them. And love is greater than like. Love is understanding, redemptive goodwill for all men so that you love everybody because God loves them. You refuse to do anything that will defeat an individual because you have a copy in your soul. And here you come to... 
That last sentence, Dr. King says, you have agape in your soul. If you look at the Greek language, there are three words for love. The first is eros. And this is defined as romantic love. What one would have for another person being Valentine's weekend. Some of you may have experienced this, right? But this is where we read and we, we watch it on the movies. There's this yearning for someone. When you find that one person that you pour out all of your like and all of your love on them, it's powerful. It's beautiful. This is how husbands should love their wives. The second is philea, which is brotherly love. Friends love like this. This is where we get uh, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. I like you because you like me. I love you because you love me. And this is the love that you have for your friends, your college roommates, your uh, people that you go to the brewery with, people that are in your small group. It's an intimate affection between personal friends. And the third one is agape. It's the understanding, creative goodwill for all men. A love that seeks nothing in return. And some would call it the love of God working in the lives of men. And Dr. King says, we need agape love in our soul. Because when you can love with agape love, you are loving men not because they are likable, but because God loves them. Which is the second reason why we should love our enemies You love your enemies because God loves them and he loves you. If you are a Christ follower, if you've chosen to follow Christ, you understand the significance of the cross. That while you were yet a sinner, an enemy of God, Jesus died for you. That we were his enemies when he displayed the greatest sign of love we've ever seen. Another reason why we should love our enemies, this is big. Is because hate distorts the personality of the hater. We often focus on the one that's being hated. But even worse is what hate does to the one person who is hating. It hurts to be hated, yes. But it also wrecks the hater too. How they see life, the, the bitterness that sets in. There is nothing more tragic than to see an individual whose heart is filled with hate. And for the person who hates, beauty becomes ugly and ugly becomes beautiful. For the person who hates, the good becomes bad and the bad becomes good. For the person who hates, true becomes false and false becomes true. That's what hate does. You can't see right. The symbol of objectivity is lost. Hate destroys the very structure of the personality of the hater. What Martin Luther King said. I joked about this during the greedy moment. I've said it before, um, but I really wasn't joking. We need to have some kind of fist bump or air high five rule during flu season. We got this flu is it's out of control. This last week, all four of my kids went through a round of the flu, right? And it came without warning. Usually in the middle of the night, right? You're woken up by one of them at the end of the bed. Dad, I just threw up. Or my little three-year-old lying next to me, decides to throw up on you, right? That's, I, I love my kids. Don't get me wrong. I love my kids. But for the last week, I didn't want to be around them, right? I, I, didn't want, I didn't want to catch what they had. I want to be confession, vulnerable right here. Confession. I can't do throw up. I can't do it. I can't. I, I can't. I don't care if it's yours, mine's, the kids or the dog. I can't do it. I just can't. I, 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 blood, broken bones, dirty diapers, 
No problem. I got, I got those things, right? When Cannon jumped off the trailer last year and fractured his skull, I didn't hesitate a second to scoop him up and hold him close. When he throws up, I can't even look at him. It's so gross. I, don't, I just can't do it, right? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, listen. Hate and bitterness and anger are like the flu. They're infectious. They're contagious. And you don't know you have it until you're vomiting all over the place and on other people. And then they don't want to be around you because they don't want to catch your hate and your bitterness. And if you choose hate, you're choosing to destroy yourself and it will eat at you mentally and physically. Love your enemies. Don't hate anybody. Because hate destroys the hater as well as the hated. You need to wash your hands and remove negativity. You need to fill up on vitamin C and and the good things. Focus on the good things from those people. Dr. King says in his message that when you're seeking to love the enemy, you must discover the good in them. Deep within each man is the image of God. Let that be what you see in your enemy. And lastly, the last reason why is because of the transformational power of love. One more audio clip I want you to listen to. Now that is the final reason I think that Jesus says love your enemies. That love has within it a redemptive power. And that is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and to transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, you will discover that at the very root of love is the power of redemption. You just keep loving people. There is a redemptive power, he said, when you love your enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. It says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Dr. King tells a story of Abraham Lincoln when he was running for president. There was this man named Erwin Stanton. Uh, who traveled all over the place and did everything he could to discredit Lincoln, to say horrible things about him, to try to get people to not vote for him. He would even uh, make comments about the way he looked. Like, you don't want this guy be your president. He's got a beard. You can't trust a beard, right? You know, he's horrible things he would say about him. Well, as you know, Lincoln became president and it was time to hire a secretary of war. Who do you think he hired? Erwin Stanton. The same man that did everything in his power to keep people from voting for Lincoln. The presidential advisors said to him, man, are you crazy? Don't you know what this guy said about you? Don't you know the things he's been, you know, he's done to you and tried to get you out of this place? And Abe Lincoln, his response was simple. He said, I looked all over the country and I found that he was the best man for the job. And so I had to hire him. A few months later, Lincoln was assassinated. And to this day, one of the greatest statements ever made 
was made by Edwin Stanton. And it read this, it read, Now he belongs to the ages. And he went on to make these beautiful statements about Lincoln's character and his stature. If Abraham Lincoln would have chosen hate and bitterness, he would have been everything Stanton was saying he was. And Stanton would have went to his grave hating Lincoln. And Lincoln would have went to his grave hating Stanton. But he chose love. And through the power of love, Edwin, Ed, Edwin Stanton was redeemed. Last week, Debbie shared about the story of Joshua. He's in the desert and he's sent in to spy in the promised land. And he goes in there with a couple guys and they come back out and, and he's like, man, this place is awesome. We got to go in. And then the other place, people in there were like, no, man, it's scary. And they were making all these judgments on how they didn't want to go into this place. And so the crowd, they bought it. They believed what these other guys were saying. We know the truth of the promised land. They didn't believe Joshua. They believed the other guys. And because of that decision and the words of somebody else, Joshua was left to, to wander in the desert. Debbie shared her own story where she is having to choose hospitality over hostility, love over hate. You and I must choose love. Okay, that's the, the who and why. Let's move to the how. How in the world do we do this? What are some of the ways that we can show love for our enemies? Well, first is we must refuse to get revenge. I don't know, has anyone seen the show on MTV called Bully Beatdown? Anyone want to admit? Oh, a bunch of church guys, huh? I, I, I'm, I'm there with you. My mom told me back in 1981 that the MTV was the devil, so I, I've never watched it either. So anyways, confession, I, I went on YouTube and I watched the episode of Bully Beatdown. Here's the, the idea of this show. You, you get a, you, you, you get, they go to some town and you, or, or these kids that are being bullied can write to the show and say, hey, listen, there's this bully that's been picking on us all our life. We want to him to get a beat down. And so what MTV does is they, they get you guys together and they get this agreement between the bully and the, the kids that are being bullied. And they say, hey, listen, we want to get you together. And we're going to put the bully up against an MMA fighter. And if he can last, he, he wins $10,000. But if he gives up or gets beat down, then you guys get the $10,000. And then, of course, they're like, oh, this is great. Let's do it. And so you got some bullies who think they can take these real fighters. And you get them together. And the story always ends in the same conclusion, right? The bully gets the crap kicked out of him in front of his bully, the kids he's bullying, right? That's what happens every time. And it's this sweet revenge, right? We've all wanted it. We've all tasted it. But Romans chapter 12 tells us something different. Romans 12, verse 17 says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But, this is big. Let me, I'm going to come back to that. We'll, we'll get there. You must let the idea of personal revenge go. You've got to give it to God. Or you will become obsessed and, it, and you will become filled with hate. When given the opportunity to get revenge or defeat your enemy, you must not do it. And there will come a time in your life when the person who has hated you the most, the person who has misused you the most, the person who has gossiped about you the most, 
There will come a time when you will have the opportunity to defeat that person. Maybe it's a job recommendation. Maybe there's some public failure and you, you can pile on. Guess what I know about the guy? You must not. Love is the refusal to defeat an individual. And what did Jesus say about his enemies on the cross? Did he say, Father, judge them. Father, condemn them now. No, what did he say? Father, forgive them. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 13. It says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, it goes on to say. Do good to them, it says. Do good to them. Luke, back to Luke chapter 6. Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. When is the last time you did good to your enemies? Back to Romans where we just were. Finishing that verse in 12. Verse 20 says this. But if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you would heap burning coals on his head. Pray for them. Pray for your enemies, not for tragedy to strike, right? You pray and say, on their behalf, I want to intercede for my enemies. Jesus, in the gospel, he lays out to us the way in which we, we should pray, right? The Lord's prayer. Not the exact words, but how do we pray for people? And what does it say? Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And it may do nothing for them, but it will do a ton for you. Luke 6, 28 goes on to say, goes on to say, bless them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Go out of your way, it says, to, to bless them and speak good of them. I mean, invite the band back on stage. I want them to join me. We're going to close with one song. Okay, I understand. You might be thinking, come on, man. Come on, pastor. Could Jesus have really meant this literally? Yes. But not on your own. You have to have God's help to do this. There's instances we've seen through scripture and through our real life of people doing this from Jesus dying on the cross. Afterwards, you have Stephen who is just trying to communicate the gospel that people love, that God loves them. He gets stoned, not river hippie stoned, but he gets actually taken stones and beaten to death. They, they throw him down this ravine and they throw stones at him until he dies. We saw it with Martin Luther King. A man who said nonviolence, I'm going to go nonviolent and try to show that God loves you. And what did he do? What happened to him? One of the last things he said before he was murdered 
He said, to all of Alabama, America, and the world, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. So what about you? Is that common practice for you? Would you rather die than hate someone? Who was the person you thought of when I asked you who your enemy is? What can you do this week to love your enemies? Because when we do, our life becomes a beacon of hope. When we do, our church becomes a lighthouse. And we must love like Christ first loved us. I want you to stand and we're going to sing this song together. Then I want to close.